Welcome to Zen Stoic Path. In this episode, we're going to be trying something a little different. So on Thursdays, we're going to start doing these episodes where we talk a little bit about Zen Stoic behind the scenes, as well as discuss kind of current events, things that might be on our minds. And it's going to be both Lewis and I, the co-founders of Zen Stoicism, talking to you about stuff that we're working on, stuff that we're planning for Zen Stoic, as well as different topics that are catching our interest. Um, so I'm going to start off by saying that I made Lewis a coffee this morning. He did not finish it, uh, which was a little rude because I can still see it here. And we're recording in the afternoon here. It wasn't particularly good. Well, Lewis is somewhat of a coffee expert, so I, uh, I'm I doing my best. <laughs> I haven't figured out if I'm a coffee expert or if you're just really bad at making coffee. <laughs> you taught you me make, how to make coffee. This, you is, ma- this is partially your fault. <laughs> and, and you know what? You have not lived up to my expectations at all. Yes. So see, we have a whole, you know, sensei and student relationship here regarding coffee. No, you keep latching onto me and asking me how to make <laughs> coffee and it is not turning out well. <laughs> well, this is why maybe you should make the coffee, you know, when we're starting our day. No, I'm your, who invites a guest to their home and then asks them to get in the kitchen? I didn't invite you. You just walked in my door. <laughs> yeah. Do you, th- do you think I walked in your door to do work? No. I came in here for the watered-down coffee. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so, Lewis, what, what, what have been some things that uh, you're working on lately uh, in your personal life? Well, you know, I was actually thinking, even before we jump into that, maybe we can just talk about some of the work that we're doing around Zen Stoic right now. Yeah. Um, anyone listening to this, you know, feel free to reach out on Instagram or through email. Soon we'll be launching our community page where you'll be able to interact with us directly um, and give us, you know, I said that to say, as we talk today about what we're working on, if you have any opinions, if you think anything will work better, is there anything you want to see, you know, reach out and just let us know. We're very agile. We're very nimble on how we take back our feedback and how we want to make this the best possible uh, podcast and then things that we're working on. We want to make that the best possible version of that. Uh, for you and for for everyone who's part of the Zen Stoic community, so you know I don't know if we formally announced it or not. I kind of just alluded to it, but we're working on launching a community page. We're working through that. Uh, currently, we're ironing out how we want to do a badging system and different challenges and different community related activities that we want to post on the community page so that we could all get in, get to know each other. We can all get involved. We can learn more about Zen and Stoic philosophy and then have some things that we can do in our own lives to help embody those, those systems and then go back to the community and connect with, with other people. So if you have any ideas on, you know, what you would like to see on the community page, feel free, feel free to reach out. I think uh, some ideas we had Vic, you know, feel free to, to jump in here. But mm-hmm. some ideas that, that we've had was early access to the podcast, additional podcast episode. Um, we might even live stream on the community page every once in a while and just kind of hang out and answer any questions um, on, on the spot with 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 fans. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, Thursdays, typically in the past, we were doing these Q&A episodes where we do one one question, one answer type episode, but we're replacing it with this episode where you kind of get, again, behind the scenes and the purpose of the community is to have a little bit more of a personal um, and more intimate communication with all of the P 
people who are listening to this podcast, the people who are interested in learning Zen and Stoicism. So even things like having exclusive Q&A episodes that are only available in the community, that's the type of thing that we'll be doing. So it'll be more personalized for the people who do want to be more involved. Uh, we're working on Zen and Stoic meditations, like audio meditations that are essentially guided and bringing these philosophies into your life on a regular basis. Uh, we've, de- we've, we've created a bunch in the past. We're creating a new style of these meditations to be giving in the community as well as, you know, creating some access so that <clears throat> it's not just listening to the Zen and Stoic principles or Zen Stoicism in terms of philosophy itself, but it's also having something that you can actually practice this in your everyday life. And well, you're a coach, so you, you know, you do what I like, I view it as like high performance coaching. Mm-hmm. You, you take already usually successful people who understand productivity, understand how to already bring better versions of themselves out. And yeah. then you help them break through and reach newer heights. So like you you have a successful coaching business revolving around that. Um, and your time is always limited. So the community to me always felt like the next best place for people to get involved, to ask you questions, to learn about, you know, some of your thoughts that they could apply in their own lives, almost like a asynchronous form of coaching through the community itself. Um, so I think that'll be big. You know, I'm a software engineer by trade. Something that me and Vic have been working on is how can we build custom tooling that could help people be more productive. So if you have like, for example, a to-do app that almost does what you love, join the community and let's talk about it. I have no problem building these things out so that we could all use it um, and bring and have value that we can take away from out of the community. Mm-hmm. It, it, that, that's an interesting concept, the, the idea of proper tooling, because I do feel like the entry into new practices and disciplines, it when it's made more accessible, again, by proper tooling, it allows more people to explore things that maybe previously they wouldn't have done. Like, for example, just even this podcast, right? We use the Roadcaster Pro to record everything, and then I use Descript to edit all of our podcast content in the past, this would never have been a thing. I would not have been the one editing it or been so involved in the creative process. I would have outsourced this. And some can make the argument that, Hey, maybe outsourcing is a better use of time, but I, I gotta be honest. Like I really enjoy this process. Like I really love it and I'm able to get very present into it and feels more connected to the content. So Introducing proper tooling, I think, is a really interesting aspect. And when we think about Zen and Stoicism and why you would want to practice it, how you would use it in your life, you would use it for things like creating more inner peace, letting go of frustrations and stress, but also being more productive, being more effective in your day. So when Lewis is talking about you know him being a software engineer and bringing in different tooling for these things, this can make disciplines or practices that maybe you've tried in the past and haven't been able to do or found some trouble or some resistance and possibly opening up new avenues of executing these things um, that may have been on your mind. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think the idea or the goal of any productivity tooling is can it become the invisible hand, right? It's like, can I use this thing to accomplish the reason why I set out to even purchase or set up this tool without the tool itself getting in my own way. So it's almost like an invisible hand that's nudging you towards success. Um, And like I've used, for example, meditation apps in the past where the app itself made the act of meditating difficult. The app itself got in its own way, Mm. giving me the experience that I would want out of meditation. 
which then lead typically what I've seen, there's like a recall that happens where you happen, you, you kind of dive into a tool, you invest into it. The tool, if it doesn't do it well, gets in its own way. And then you almost like snap back and it's like, all right, well, I guess I have to use pen and paper or I have to meditate by myself or I have to do breathing exercises by myself. Like there's a lot of value in that. I'm still a big fan of like pen and paper, for example, for to do mm-hmm. new applications. But I think that's a testament of like, tooling not serving the purpose it should so we're defaulting for this like offline experience mm. um you know one tool that we use at zen stoic that we didn't build but we're big fans of is, is craft um shout out to craft they're they're not a sponsor or anything but they're a documenting tool that you can download on ios or on your mac i think they also have a web app and it's the best tool i've ever used for taking notes yes it's phenomenal um, before that tool, I was writing all my notes by hand and pen and paper with that tool. I've almost transitioned completely to digital note taking. And like, that's one of those things where that tool is very minimal. It's simple, but powerful. So it's invisible to me. It's, it doesn't, I don't even often realize I wouldn't know I'm using craft unless I like it was pointed out to me. It's just sort of there and it works well. Um, so very seamless integration into your life. Right. And I don't think, which is why I really love the idea of like community driven tool making, because I don't think one person or one team is capable of making the decisions around productivity tooling on their own. That mm. will be effective because productivity is a very, there's a balance between like there are patterns, there are strategies because we're, cause we're all, cause we're all different um, so there's like a balance there between, you know, does this work for me? And is this tying back into a larger strategy that can help me get to where I want to go? And I think the best way to strike that balance is crowdsourcing the feedback. So join all that's to say, join the community. You know, we, we want to, we're building tools. We want to hear about the kind of tools you want to be built. We're launching a, a, a meditation application series. So there'll be a website potentially an iPhone app if people want that with a whole bunch of new meditations. We're going to be doing live streaming. Um, so be on the lookout for that community page launching soon. Yeah, I wanted to touch on one more thing on that that topic around proper tooling because it reminded me of something where you were saying that sometimes you'll pull out a meditation app and the app actually deters you more from the practice of meditating. Like the the tool actually points you away in some ways. And it kind of reminds me of uh, when we watched that, that one special on Netflix from Bo Burnham, the inside special, he has a song called that funny feeling. And the first line in the song is stunning 8k resolution meditation app. It's like <laughs> sometimes, you know, we, we try to make something so good or so um, extravagant that we actually miss the point of why it's being created in the first place. And then it's no longer this invisible hand, but it's just like this fancy distraction that you end up having in your life. Right. Well, I I see this a lot in software, right? Like this idea, the software always has to be, has to evolve and has to iterate, Mm -hmm. Uh, which there's some truth to that, but it's kind of, there's a balance even in that. But really what gets born out of that a lot is uh, you start missing the forest for the trees. I think it's the Mm -hmm. saying. So it's like, the meditation app can be effective and it works. Yes. And then you have someone come back to you and say, well, we want to increase re- retention or play time, or we want people to go from one meditation a day to one and a half meditations a day. So then you start adding things that juke 
or juice the stats mm-hmm. at the cost of the long-term benefit or experience of why the person gets in there, right? Um, I think the easiest example to say that, like the easy example to kind of illustrate that, you have a meditation app. First time you open it, it'll ask you, can you donate a dollar to us? You say no. It never asks you again. You enjoy the app. You move forward. Someone comes back to you and says, hey, only half of the people give us the dollar. If you ask them every time they open the app, that can go up to like 75%. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, that's more money. That might be good for the business. So they add that feature. But now every time you go in that app, you're being prompted to donate money, which ruins the overall experience that you're looking for out of the app. So that, that that's like a, a, like a, just an example. Of yeah, how it takes that, you out of the state. That, right, of yeah, how that intended. can look like. And that's how a small team can misguidedly add a feature you know, th- that comes up in a bunch of nuanced ways. But mm. That's how a small team or a team, even big companies do this. That's how a company can find itself in a position where uh, they're doing things for the wrong incentives. Or uh, when I say wrong incentives, their incentives are right, but they're not the incentives that are aligned with the actual user. Um, mm. I love the idea of the community driving the feedback of the tools we build because that means the incentives are rooted in adding value this community that we're trying to build. Yeah. And and I would say using that as a metric for what, where innovations take place and what kind of features get made or removed, I think is looking at a service in the same or through the lens of even looking at it through the Zen stoic intentions versus the delusions. It sounds like uh, you've probably seen in your career as a software engineer times where delusional thinking or delusional intentions took over and ended up missing the point and kind of like taking the human experience out of the, what was originally intended. Like for instance, uh, the example that you gave around, Oh, well, if we ask them every time to donate a dollar, then we are going to make more money, but not even not realizing that, at the at the cost of making more money, you also diminish the user experience and in the long term end up having less users or less of that experience. And the way I kind of see that is that there's a delusion of control there, right? The Whatever the service provider is, is deluding themselves via control because instead of focusing on the delivery from a, the intention of understanding, understanding the user feedback and how the users or the uh, the customers of that particular service are interacting and how they feel about it. Instead, it's control from almost this place of self-preservation. Like if we can control this, it's going to be good for us, not realizing that they're missing the whole point of understanding what the actual feedback is. I mean, possibly. I also think that like it's more malicious than that. I think often what it is, it's uh, more about it comes from a place of disingenuousness where we there's this unspoken reality that works that we're extremely profit motivated. Mm-hmm. People don't like hearing that, so we will communicate in a way that sounds like you know we're receptive to the user experience. But I think if you read between those tea leaves, I think what uh what 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 you see is we're receptive to the user's experience up until like. We're okay sacrificing the user's experience up until the point that you won't be a customer. Mm. So, like, they're always trying to push that boundary and that line. So, you see things like lock in. That's how you see things like, you know, like deceptive pricing or deceptive marketing. 
So I think is I personally think is a lot more disingenuous than that. The, the the idea of the community is exciting to me because how you, I think my hypothesis is like how do you find a way to incentivize um, the work you do mm-hmm. with you know really aligned tightly like a tight feedback loop with your customers is community driven um, like a community driven model where you know the the workers are embedded with the users. Mm-hmm. Like I would be a user and a worker on it. You know, the the in the community, users will be speaking, giving feedback, be part of the design decision process. Now, usually if you go, if you look at most companies, there's a room somewhere where someone's deciding what we should be what should be done next mm-hmm. based on how they infer what is the right next step. Yes. Customers are not usually in that room. Mm-hmm. Um and then a lot of people build stuff and they don't dog food. They don't they don't use it themselves. They just put it out in the world and they hope that their metrics or analytics will guide them in the right direction. The idea of this like community driven effort around like our meditations, our podcast, everything that we do, making that the root means that like we're both on the consumer and producer end and then our consumers are in the decision end as well. Because mm-hmm. like their voice has equal equity in like how we move forward. Um, and why we move forward in the way that we do. Yeah, and I think I think bringing that that sense of understanding diminishes the potential of disingenuous communication coming up, um, because it sounds like you know from your example, there's not just you know intention of control, but there's also intention of performance there in terms of how things are communicated. Which again, like at the end of the day, that points us away from ourselves. So I like the the thinking behind how you're you're designing the community user experience um so moving on to to a different topic here because i know this has been something that you've been experiencing in the last few weeks and i was also experiencing but didn't really realize it but this uh idea of burnout how has that come into your life in the last uh, little bit yeah it's a um i guess it's better or getting better now but i'd say maybe around few weeks ago mm-hmm. i ended up just working myself into a situation where i felt completely burnt out um and what was interesting about that was in the moment that i realized i was burning out or i was i was already burnt out in my opinion mm-hmm. in the moment that i was still working but burnt out i felt like i was getting close to burning out um and just some things started happening around me uh, in terms of like the quality of my work, uh, the quality of my communication. And, you know, I have a family, I have a fiance, I have a son. So for me, I had to take a step back and um, just analyze the situation that I was in and how if it kept moving forward, it could negatively impact them. And that's not that's not a line I was willing to cross, which it made the I think for most people a difficult decision to admit that they're burning out or they're burnt out. Mm-hmm. It made the decision easier for me because of, of just where, how I, I framed that. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, but what was interesting is once I stopped and the momentum that maybe allowed me to continue moving forward, despite being burnt out really set in as to like how severe the burnout itself was. Yes. Um, Cause starting after stopping was extremely difficult and mm-hmm. I had to just take a couple weeks to uh, address that and think through like, how do you recover from burnout? How mm-hmm. should I recover from burnout? 
what are things that I can do to prevent this from, from moving forward? Yeah, that uh, that's an interesting concept. And what it kind of reminded me of is almost this idea of like, I'm, I'm sure you've heard before uh, people saying, if you're thirsty, then you're already dehydrated. Like it, once you become right. thirsty, like it's a sign that you're already dehydrated. You don't need to wait until like you're dying there. And I think burnout is similar, at least in my experience, it's been similar. It's like when you have kind of like this hunch that you might be getting close to burnout, you're probably already burnt out by that point. And at least that was true for me because I wasn't describing the state that I was in uh, before my vacation as burnout. But once I got to to Hawaii and I just kind of like relaxed and stopped thinking about anything work-related, I remember, you know, a massive contrast in how I felt. And all these like very simple, easy tasks before I went on vacation were like excessively difficult compared to what they're supposed to be. And just detaching for a moment, zooming out, seeing the forest and not being lost in the trees allowed me to be like, oh, well, I was definitely burned out. And it's a good thing that I took this vacation when I did because I realized how much I needed it. And when I came back refreshed. So what about the vacation helped you feel refreshed? Like what were the things? Because I guess what I'm trying to trying to ask specifically is mm-hmm. it'd be great if anytime you got tired from work, you can just travel to Hawaii and catch a vibe. Yes. Um, but certainly while you were there, there were things that you were doing that maybe people can do themselves. Yeah, this is what I think. And I'm glad you asked this question because what I realized is that it wasn't Hawaii itself that allowed me to kind of relax. It was it was some other factors that can definitely be recreated anywhere. Uh, And I'll I'll say this, I'll compare it to this because this is not this is the first week long vacation that I've taken in two years. I did smaller vacation, like little weekend things where I went to, I remember I went to Nashville earlier this year and I didn't have the same, the same feeling. I didn't have the same experience. I had fun in Nashville, like when I went with my cousin, but it was not the, it wasn't anything like what Hawaii did. And I think the difference was a few things. One is that in Hawaii, I was surrounded by nature constantly and I was putting myself in environments where there were, you know, a lot of wildlife there was water there were trees you know forests in some cases like really beautiful uh landscapes there was a lot of sunlight i was i wasn't in a city necessarily i wasn't overstimulated so i think that was one of the things was being in nature having sunlight and specifically sunlight first thing in the morning uh because of the whole time zone shift we were waking up ridiculously early we were waking up like 5:30 without an alarm because of how many hours there was a difference in our time zones. And I remember because we were waking up at that time, you know, all of us that were there, we were able to just go and watch the sunrise and watching the sunrise or at least getting sun first thing when, when you wake up, it was a big change in perspective because of what I was doing previous to the vacation is I would wake up and I'd start writing. And it's not that this was like a bad task, but I was looking at a screen right away and I was working instead of going out into nature. So this is definitely something that I brought back with me that I started doing that has had a very positive effect. The other thing that I was thinking as well that kind of created this rejuvenating experience was not just the nature, but also being around people that I really love. I was around my family. This was the first family vacation in a while. And so I was around people that I just, I'm very much myself with. I, you know, I don't have to talk about work. I don't have to pretend to be be anything. I can just be me. 
and we laugh, we have good times, we create memories and spending time around family or people that you feel like you can really be, be yourself with, I think is a big, um, a, a big deal and something that definitely came into that idea of rejuvenating. And then I'd say the third thing was just the idea of doing something new. There was a lot of activities that we were doing new things that I've never seen before food that I've never tried before, just kind of having almost like a palate cleansing sensory experience by doing and seeing things that were different and eating things that were different. So again, I feel like all three of these things can be done without a vacation can technically be done being wherever you are. Unless of course, you know, you don't have family around you or people around you that you're close with. That would be the only thing that might make it difficult, but getting into nature, getting around people that you love that you can be yourself with. And then, having new sensory experiences. In other words, like instead of going with the everyday usual routine of like what you eat and what you see in your surroundings, maybe go to a different environment, eat something new, listen to different kind of music, like just be in something that is not in your ordinary familiar patterns. I would say that those three things were probably the the biggest thing that kind of soothed the burnout and helped me feel refreshed. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think for me, we have some overlap. Um, and I think this is something you started adopting too after we talked about you coming back from Hawaii. I think you, I may have mentioned it to you in the past, but I think you experienced it on this vacation. I think moving forward is something you're doing. So the first thing that I did was, I was first, I, I was retrospective. You know, I, I caught an audible. I um, used some PTO, um, decided to just like turn off and disconnect from the internet for a little bit, reduce screen time. And I just thought through like, what in my circumstances changed that put me to this point? Um, trying to identify when it happened, how it happened, and what behaviors that I that I stopped doing or start doing that led to this burnout. Um, and the first thing that came to mind was, I'm a big believer the of you start your day entering the mood or the vibe that you want, you know, for mm-hmm. for a good day. I think conventional wisdom that i've seen online is what's your most important task what's the the most impactful thing you can do turn off everything and do that thing first thing in the morning i disagree with that wholeheartedly um if that works for you that's great for me entering the mood entering the day in the right mood is how i have the most productive day um yes so you know to me what that looks like i'll wake up before everyone wakes up in my house make a fresh cup of coffee, you know, whole bean, I'll grind it. There's a ritual to it that I really enjoy. Better coffee um, than I made. Significantly better, no question. <laughs> that was already that was already implied. But, yes, but just in case uh, you guys all forgot, my coffee was uh, unimpressive to Lewis this morning. <laughs> well, yeah. So I, I wake up in the morning, I'll make my fresh cup of coffee, um, and I'll do some breathing. There's just, I, I have no science for what I'm about to say. And I have no idea where this thought came from. This is sort of an aside. For some reason, I feel that my normal breathing is a little bit more shallow than I want. And I'm holding into bad air. So and I have no idea where I had this thought from. I have no idea what YouTube rabbit hole like implanted this in my head. Um, but because I'm taking shallow breaths, I'm holding on to like, worse quality air. Um, so when I wake up first thing in the morning after my cup of coffee, I'll lay down and do some Wim, Wim Hof breathing, which is like that, like very deep exhale, very deep inhale and going through a few cycles. 
and I just feel almost cleansed. Like my mm. focus is better, my energy is better. I'm sure a lot of that is just the style of Wim Hof in general. But I just there's something about like circulating my oxygen to get fresh air deep inside of me um, mm-hmm. and get that because I think in my normal breathing the air is just a little bit more shallow. Yeah. So you know that's something that I do every morning. Um, I'll turn on some TV and I'll just watch cartoons for at least thirty minutes. It's just like laughing. It's kind of silly. It's disconnected from anything, almost like play. Um, and then after that, like I'll wake up my son and then we'll take him to daycare and then I'll start my day exercise, whatever comes next. But like that fun, easygoing start of my morning just puts me in the right frame of mind to tackle the rest of the day. When I came back from my road trip in the beginning of August, I a month ago, a month and a half ago, I stopped doing that. I was trying to learn. I was trying to focus on some career things. I was trying to push back. Um, I'm trying not push back, but push beyond, uh, where I currently was by like taking on more work, taking on more educational content that I wanted to like digest and like study. And it became so much that I started sacrificing parts of my routine. So I was mm-hmm. waking up first thing in the morning and like opening my computer and working and then going until I was done with my work day. So I was like sacrificing parts of my routine that maybe unintuitively feel like they're not productive. But they're there because they put me in the right emotional state. Right. Um, so I, I let that go for a month. And I think that contributed to my burnout. Um, so I started that back up again. And that was helpful. The The other thing that um, I did, which you mentioned, was just getting more in touch with nature. You know, when, when we moved to our house right before the pandemic, um, we I would go on a walk almost every day with my son for an hour. You know, now that he's sort of back in daycare, that doesn't happen. And he's a little bit older so walks with him are not necessarily walks. He just kind of like runs around in a circle for a bit. Um, we, we don't do them as frequently, but I was still doing my own one hour walk. It was just like very mild. It's not really exercise or cardio based. It's just a walk, audio book, getting some sunlight, giving me a reason to exit my house since I work from home. Uh, wasn't doing that because I sacrificed that hour to focus more on work, studying and you know, doing different things and taking on more commitment. Uh, so I let that go. And I think that was an issue um, because I was so singular in my effort. It was like, I want to execute, execute, execute. I sacrificed my organizational time, you know, the night before or sometime in my early morning, you know, after my routine, I'll sit down, open up my journal and I'll organize my day. I'll, I'll organize my calendar um, I'll figure out like what are the things that I should do, can't do, what should be moved on, um, plan out rest time. I stopped doing that because it was just wake up and execute, wake up and execute. So like there's this whole like foundation that I do that prepares me to have a successful day that I just sacrificed. And to me, I think that was one of the biggest contribution mm-hmm. um, to burnout. And I'll add to that, you know, this idea of like being around family, being about about around love i during this time frame in my household we made the decision of while i focus on this you know i have some more support in watching over our son and in practice you know i was still you know after work hanging out with the family and doing all the things i would typically do um but it was just ha- it was less frequent it was like it, it was like four or five hours every day after daycare it was maybe only only like three so even that started to bleed into that time to a bit. Um, 
And that I think also had a negative effect of my overall well being, you know. So I think all those things cumulatively just escalated or accelerated the burnout for me. And reintroducing them into my routine. So when I was during burnout, I wasn't doing any work, I was resting, but I was doing that part of my routine again. Even though when I was done, I was just hanging out just to kind of get back into the flow. And drastically, that started making me feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that what you're illustrating is a really good point, uh, specifically because I think, again, these things all kind of come back to intentionality and like, what are you intending to do? And it's, I know, at least for me, when I was getting up and working first thing in the morning, the same way you were there was almost like this underlying expediency of like trying to get something done or trying to be productive, you know, for the sake of being productive and doing productive things. And you, you highlighted a something earlier in what you were saying, where you were saying like, you know, these activities are not necessarily productive activities, but they put you in the right emotional state. And I think there's something to be said about that um, in getting up and, putting yourself in the right state by taking care of you, taking care of your mind, your body in whatever way you see fit to do that. And I've seen people come up with these like really elaborate morning routines, but usually what's underlying in those elaborate morning routines is like this intention that I'm doing this so that I can be productive. And it sounds like with you, it's similar to me. It's like, I'm not doing this stuff in the beginning of the day of like, you know, having my coffee, breathing, going outside into nature. Like I'm not doing that so that I can be productive. I'm doing that at this point now just for me because that's a form of I'm going to care for myself first thing in the morning kind of thing. And like that's putting that priority um, on that instead of putting that priority on that so that I can be productive. Like that, at least for me, that's not even in my head. It's like I'm doing this so that I just operate at my best and feel my best. Right. I think the hypothesis that I have or that we share is um, less but better almost, right? Because it's like, yes, you're technically dedicating a portion of your morning from away from starting work slightly sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can maybe infer that you're getting less done. I would make the argument that the quality of what you could do after being in a better state will supersede the quality of what you would do in a worse state. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's a trade off anyone can make any day of the week um, and see the benefits like tangibly and the quality of, of their work. Yes. Um, but e- even still, if you, if you agree with that and you prescribe to that and you think, well, I just don't have the time. Um, that in my mind is an opportunity. That's that looks that sounds like a flag uh, for you to take a step back and really evaluate like what is essential in your day. Mm. You know, my 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 breathing, this Wim Hof breathing that I do, um, it's an 11 minute YouTube video. And I would often catch myself saying things like I just don't have the time to do the breathing. It's just like, do I really not have 11 minutes in my day? Like that's the purpose. When you say it out loud, it's preposterous, right? But like in the moment, it's mm-hmm. easy to feel that way because you're always trying to juggle into the next thing that you want to finish. Right. You're not here right now. So right. if you're thinking you're of the next thing. You're not embracing the present, right? Right. If you're thinking of the next thing, really you're resisting the present moment and you're not, you're not here, which is 
again, it's not that you don't have the time. It's just that you're not in the time of now. Right. And I, I love that you said it as, a, as like, this is an opportunity because even saying that or having that thought, I think is symptomatic that you're not being present with yourself. And it, at least for me, I don't know if, if you feel this way, but for me, I, this, the hours in the day didn't change. Right. But the days feel like I have significantly more time than before by starting this. So I feel like when we have this perception of I don't have time, our perception is actually warped by how we're choosing to spend that time. And because we all have the same amount of time, like that didn't change, but how we perceive it changes greatly when we change how we actually begin the day. No, I agree 100%. And now I even add on to this, like, this is an aside, but I think related. It's like, I everything that I'm saying about waking up early or even I'm not even adding on early, just waking up and starting your day, um, taking care of yourself to make sure you're in the right mood for the rest of your day uh, as a prerequisite. You know, all this, all these benefits I found also apply to just like getting a quality sleep. Mm-hmm. It's like when I sleep better, it's easier to wake up and then be in a better mood and move forward. You know, while I was leading into or while I was burnt out, but before I decided to take some time for myself, I sacrificed all of my self-care, right? Like everything, you know, everything I'm talking about here, right? Like even the journaling, even the, you know, like doing a little bit of exercise and doing a walk before I start my work day, all those things. You can call it self-care if you'd like, whatever category, but I'll, I'll just for now refer to it as self-care. Like all that self-care um, was made easier or enhanced by a good quality sleep. Mm-hmm. When when I was burnt out and I sacrificed all that self-care, I was also working till three in the morning. So like I lost my sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, safe to say I was just in a complete disarray, right? Like all the things that helped me, I sacrificed. And then I replaced it with worse version, better versions of things that were destructive. Um, so, you know, I think it's obvious in hindsight, like how I... I got myself to that point. Um, but, you know, just to highlight a little bit of like what I did to recover, started adopting back those like self-care habits that I do every day. Mm-hmm. Like the the routine, like eating better food so I didn't feel bloated and, and inflammated, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of just helped me what I was eating, when I was eating, helped me regulate my mood, which gave me a nudge to try to start to feel better and do better mm-hmm. adopting back the routines that I was doing, like waking up in the morning and doing something that makes me happy. Um, just put me in a better frame of mind, which allowed me or nudged me to like start feeling better or doing better. Um, journaling so that like there was some, and, and doing my, my like day organization that gave me back some structure, a little bit of constraint, which, which is comforting. Um, because it, it directionally allowed me to know how my, where my day was going. I didn't feel like I was just sort of floating around that nudged me to feel better and start doing better, mm-hmm. doing my walks being more in touch with nature. I think another way of, of like referring to this, if anyone out there is just disconnecting. I think when we say nature, if you can be in nature, it's one of the best ways of disconnecting. But if you're in, you know, a city where nature is not accessible, um, especially during these COVID times, really what we're referring is disconnecting and disconnecting even more so than just like not going on your screen, but disconnecting from your current environment. You know, like if, if you're in an apartment all day working from home, 
even just going to like a Barnes and Noble and reading a book, like that's a way of disconnecting in a brand new environment. So I was doing a lot of that. I was just like leaving the house and being around my neighborhood, being around, you know, what is for me nature, but for you can be whatever form of disconnection could make sense. Um, piggyback on that less screen time. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't like doom scrolling anymore. Um, and you know, like in the hubaloo of like the movement of like, I'm, I'm in tech, I'm in, I'm interested in a whole bunch of different aspects of tech. Tech moves fast. So it, sometimes you can feel like you always have to be on Twitter to, to stay up to date with what's going on. Um, which is not true. You don't have to do that. But you know, in that moment, since I wasn't doing all my other self care, I wasn't in the right frame of mind to make decisions like don't check Twitter right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I was so scattered and so reactive that I was also just reacting to all the bad things that pull me in during the day that usually I, I could resist because I have, I'm in a better frame of mind. So I was doing all these things. Um, and then, you know, some things too about burnout was I originally just took a couple of days off and I came back and someone that I hold to a lot of respect told me, I don't think you can recover from burnout in just a few days. I'm glad you're feeling better. Um, but be careful because if you take on work too quickly, you may end up burning out even further. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was important to me because I did feel ready to go back to work. I didn't feel 100%. Um, so even though I was eager to go back to work, I made the call to extend it even a little bit further um, and o- almost like overcorrect where I was I was desperate to get back to work. I was like, I just want to... You know, I'm, I'm ready to go kill it. I'm ready to come back in. I have all these ideas. You know, like I was waiting to get to that place, not just when I felt better. Um, so, that you know, I wanted to call that out only because if anyone's experiencing burnout, when you're ready to go back to work, if you have the opportunity, add a few more days to that. Um, yeah, that, that just really solidifies the like. It's it's almost similar to what, we were saying, what you were saying, Vic, about mm-hmm. uh if you feel like you're going to burn out, you're already burned out. Yes. Um, almost the opposite is true when it's time to come back. Because of the pressures of our society, you may feel pulled into going back to work pre prematurely. Mm-hmm. So but just, you may not be there yet. Exactly. Because our society is structured to make you feel like it's not okay to take the time off and makes you feel guilty to come back sooner. So you almost have to like have the opposite response when dealing with something like right. that. It's kind of like being injured and like just because now you don't have pain or you've gotten to a point where there's no more pain doesn't mean you need to go back hard into the physical activity that may have caused the injury or that the injury was affecting, um, which I think burnout is correlated with, with that idea of working through pain and characterizing it for yourself as almost something noble like, oh, look at me, I work through the pain, you know, hashtag no days off. Like, that doesn't, <laughs> it's not really a healthy way to go. And, uh, you know, this points to something that I've been working on lately um, regarding, you know, the injury that I have with my back. Like, you and I, we kind of learned this mentality of working through pain when we went through wrestling in high school, um, which is actually where Lewis and I met. <clears throat> but we, we both wrestled in high school, and our coach was very much around the mentality of, oh, you got to work through the pain. If you have injury, it doesn't matter, like work around it kind of thing. And, you know, that kind of thought process has actually become detrimental. And so one of the things that I'm working on now, like Lewis, you know, was working through that burnout. I was too in, in, in my own way. But one of the things that I'm also working on and prioritizing is the recovery and healing of a back injury that I had. So I had this 
nagging back injury for probably a year, and I didn't really get it checked until uh, pretty recently. And when I got the MRI, it turned out that I had a herniated disc, degenerative spinal issues, and some nerve impingement. It's like pretty significant stuff. And I realized that a lot of what that was, none of that was like an acute injury. It's not like one, one thing happened and then all of a sudden, you know, I had this injury. It was over time that showed up. And a lot of that over time of, of that showing up was me working through pain and having this idea that, oh, no, I just got to work through it. Almost having like this this uh, resistance to what I was feeling. Like I wasn't embracing what I was feeling. I wasn't listening to my body. I wasn't, you know, taking the time to, to recover. And when I would recover a little bit by taking maybe a couple days off here and there, and I'd feel like, oh, okay, I'm not in pain anymore, so I can go back to jujitsu. I'd only further injure it because even though I didn't feel pain, it didn't necessarily mean that my body was ready to go back in right. and start working hard again on that. Well, you know, that's why the applicability of like taking a step back and, and asking what's my intention mm-hmm. forward. It's a, it's always a worthwhile exercise. It's always a worthwhile exercise. I'll use you as an example. Um, and the one that you just described, mm-hmm. you love jujitsu. You've been going jujitsu for a long time. You've been doing martial arts for longer than I've known you. So I think if someone were to ask you, what's your intention to go in jujitsu? I think your first response well, one, I don't even think you ask yourself that. I think you've just been going for so long and you love it, you just go. So there's not even that point of reflection right. for that. I think if then if somebody were to ask you that, you'd be like, oh, it's something I love and something I enjoy. And that's like a very surface, that's your response. It's like your your reactive response. It's true. I, I know that to be true. But like that's asking the intention without really thinking about it. So you would then still go. Um, but then I think if you were to take a step back and really reflect on it, like what is the overarching goal of all the fitness stuff that you do is you really believe and you really like buy into and you really model someone who values their health above almost anything else. You know, you eat a certain way, you you listen to your body to a certain extent, you like take certain vit- uh, vitamins, you, you track all that, you do jujitsu, you, you work out, you do cardio, you do all these things because you believe your intention behind it is to be healthier. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, close to the core of that and if you are mindful of that as like your underlying intention and like because you love jiu-jitsu that's just one of the ways that you fulfill that intention you can then say oh wait a second although i love jiu-jitsu my lower back's in pain so i could go but it could actually deter me away from the intention of being healthy because I'm destroying my back yes, and that's unhealthy. Right. That's uh, right. And uh, like just that, like, and I think the MRI for you was being confronted with that deeper intention. Right. Yeah. And then you kind of had to like sort of face that and you got to where you are now. Yeah. It's really interesting. And, and I'm glad that we uh, were starting this series of episodes because it, it kind of allows you and I to examine our own intentions and delusions with a lot of the stuff that we're experiencing. And I'll, you know, I'll say that everything regarding my health and fitness had the first intention there, I would say is a sense of discipline and sincerity. So like it's in a place that kind of points me back to myself because it makes me very present and I love it. And then I just really enjoy that 
doing these things. And it's also a way of kind of challenging and growing. But at the same time, the not listening to my back is me engaging in a delusion of resistance to start with, right? I'm resisting what my body's telling me. I'm resisting what is. Uh, one thing that's interesting about back injuries and degenerative issues is I was reading in a book that I have that's called The Psychic Roots of uh, Disease. And the psychic roots of disease, you know, to put it simply, is mapping emotional conflicts to chronic illnesses, diseases, and pains. And what that points back to is self-esteem conflicts. So what's interesting about this is some if, if you see me training jujitsu and my body is in a good physical state where I'm able to train, totally fine. If you see if you see me training through pain, it's no longer a sincere intention. I'm probably intending a sense of performance. Right. I'm probably intending uh, the the delusion of expediency of trying to maybe use jujitsu to avoid dealing with maybe some emotional conflicts that I haven't addressed yet. I'm probably trying to use excessive working out as a form of control rather than taking the taking a moment to really understand what's going on and getting curious about that. So in, in creating the intentions and delusions, Lewis and I are always kind of reflecting back at like, okay, well, where it's, it's a simple question is what Lewis was saying is like, what is my intention with this? Cause a lot of the time you'll find out just by asking that question when you might be in delusion. And one of the reasons that I got to this point where the severity of my injury is where it is now is because despite having sincere intentions and disciplined intentions, there were moments where I was very delusional and that's why I got to this point here. So now I'm taking a moment to kind of embrace where I'm at, understand what's right, going on. There's a, there's a dyna, there's a life is dynamic. Yes. It's variable. Right. So like the answer to a question today under different circumstances may not be the right answer again. Right. So it's like, I think when you ask yourself, about your thoughts on jujitsu and like why you do that. You you ask yourself that the version of yourself you're asking in your head is in perfect health. Mm-hmm. But we're not we're not talking about that version of you. We're talking about the one who's going through some pain. Mm-hmm. Is that answer, is that intention still valid in that new context? And that's why it's always it's a helpful exercise, even though it may feel repetitive over time. It's still a helpful exercise to do a few times a week to just question your intentionality because unsuspecting things can come up every day that can drastically alter it, you know, your alignment to your intention, Mm -hmm. you know, know, context will change it. Right. I think everybody, well, I think it's easier and uh, to, to put it in the, the words that you, you like to use is like, sometimes we make lazy conclusions and right. and I think binary conclusions are typically lazy. It's like I'm either on this side or I'm the, I'm on that side. Yeah, it's and, uninspired, right? Because yeah. it's like I know myself, and I know that this is what I would want myself to say. Right. Which and is you're, not you're treating yourself like a statue, like an unmoving. Right. Like this is how I am. But the reality is, I think people are more like dancers that change based on what music is playing, what kind of music is playing. Right. So the context um, has a has a massive effect, and a lot of the time we we try to see ourselves as separate from our environment or the the context of the situation that we're in like it's us against the situation when the reality is like who we are in our current state in the present moment is defined by both the internal state 
and subjective experience as well as the external environment and objective experience. Like they're both two sides of the same coin. That's like that non-dual presence. So I think it's really important, like you're saying, to really examine the context. Like what is my intention in this context? I really enjoyed this conversation on burnout. I think, you know, for anyone listening, we're going to try to do these once once a week, every Thursday, release the episode. If there's anything you want us to chat about, just reach out. We can chat about it. Um, if this is helpful in any way, reach out. I think the way that we're going to treat these moving forward is we're just going to come in and just talk about whatever we're experiencing in real time, mm-hmm. what we're working through, what we're working on, how we're feeling. Uh, we both just came off of some burnout. We are also focusing on a whole bunch of new work that we're exciting about that's energizing, not draining. Um, so we'll keep talking about that. Always be also like, hey, we came in, we talked about burnout, we gave some tips, some advice. Like, I think over time where I would like to see these episodes go is, and sorry, audience, but like we almost forget you exist. And it's just very <laughs> much like, because you know, in times and even in this conversation, we would try to draw it back. And like bring it to a place where the audience can be brought along with us. I think that's really helpful. And I do like we do our other our podcasts typically in that format. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for these more conversational ones, I'd love for it to get to a place where we're just sort of talking. And then if there's anything that maybe we glossed over, you know, the community page hopefully will be live by then and you'll be able to jump in and then we can continue the dialogue there. That's right. Yeah. And until then. Email us at info at zenstoic.com if you have any questions or you want any topics. Um, like Lewis said, it, there will be times where it's just him and I talking. And part of that is this the sincere expression of where we're at. And that will allow us to be more raw and real with how we feel about things, how we're using Zen Stoicism, and even the challenges that we're experiencing in our own lives and how we're what we're doing to work towards resolving them. So thanks so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.